Hello, I'm Kirsten O'Brien. Welcome to 16 Summers, the podcast that really only wants the answer to one simple question. If you had to choose between the childhood that you had or the one you're giving to your children, which would you pick? Right, I feel at this point you should start playing like the Hobbies music in the background because... Right. We were poop. We used to get up half an hour before we went to bed. It was an improvement, like I said, that's what you want to be of his father. So I knew his, his shortcomings weren't his fault and he loved us. I do have lots of really fond memories, but they were never they were never around kind of lavish holidays or spending money. It was all about kind of making my own fun, I guess. If we want our children to improve their lives and the lives of people around them and make it a better world, then we have to do our bit. You totally blindsided me. I haven't talked about that for 20 years. (laughs) Today I'm talking to Charlie Condu. He's an actor best known as Dr Ben Sherwood in Holby City and Marcus Dent in Coronation Street. He grew up in the heart of Soho in the 80s as the gay scene was emerging. He made a pact with his friend Catherine that if they hadn't had kids by the time they were 40, they'd have them together. Now he has 11-year-old Georgia and 9-year-old Hal, who split their time between him and his husband Cameron and their mum. So who has the better childhood? Charlie, do you know what you've got yourself in for here? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love that people say yes and then they don't know what's coming. Uh, It shouldn't be too painful. It's just one question. If you had to choose between the childhood that you had or the one that you're giving your kids, which would it be? But I don't want you to answer that yet as he inhales there, ready to go. You can have a chat first and then Excellent. make a decision at the end because you might have a notion from the off. Um, that might change. It might not. Yeah. But we yeah. don't know what you're thinking at this point. Okay. So I need to start, of course, with your childhood. Where were you? What did you do? How many siblings did you have? Well, I, I've i been thinking because I didn't know what the question was. And so obviously I've been thinking about it quite a lot. Um, and in, in so many ways, I had a really fantastic childhood. Um, I was very lucky in that I came from a very warm, loving, supportive, good family. My mum my was kind of incredible, is kind of incredible. Um, she's very working class comes from a very very poor background you know her and her two siblings shared a bed through their childhood kind of poor um and we didn't have much money when I was growing up um but she you know she worked three jobs um to kind of look after me and my sister my sister was 10 years older than me um and so she was she was a bit of a powerhouse in my life I suppose um And I always felt very happy. I guess looking back, I can see that there were big problems that I didn't really know were that big as a kid because you don't. Everything just feels normal because it's just what you know. Um, But I knew that my dad was in prison and I knew that that wasn't normal because I didn't know anybody anybody else who had a dad in prison. Um, and he he went to prison when I was about six months old um, and was there for five years in France. So that always that was always something in the background that was a, a real strain for my mum, certainly. And, and in fact, she ended up meeting my, who is now my stepfather, during that time. And 
things didn't work out with my dad and so she got together with my stepdad and he and and they are still married to this day so that was kind of you know god knows how many years ago 46 years ago or something like that um but it was it was a tricky time so i think my mum did the best to give me a really normal stable childhood and i and i always felt that as a kid but of course looking back you go all oh, right maybe it wasn't quite as normal and stable as i thought <laughs> <laughs> so the french surname thing is making sense now where were you in the uk though or were you in france yeah we were no we were in the uk and in fact the the surname is my stepdad's surname ah okay so, and he happens to be french half french um so that's that's what happened i i took his surname when i was when i was a bit older i think i was probably about eight. Um, but we were in we were in London. I was I was brought up in West London um, in in Fulham while I was a kid, and then and then moved up to Soho in my kind of teen years, I suppose. With the whole family moved up there, uh, so that's that's probably part two of my childhood. Yeah, <laughs> when it all went really weird. Um, no, that was great as well. But but yeah, so so Fulham was kind of where I spent my young childhood we had we had a brief period in Brighton um when I was very little but I don't remember much of that other than other than being on the beach a bit with my sister so when did your stepdad come onto the scene how old were you then uh I'm not entirely sure but I was a baby I mean I was I was you know less than two years old I don't remember life without him that's for sure um so yeah I think I think around around about that time around about god what i was born in 73 so it was probably around about 75 76 something like that and was your real dad present once he came out of jail what what's the sort he of sort setup of there was and he wasn't i mean my my biological father who who has passed away now was i don't i don't think he was a bad man at all he was you know a hippie in the 70s and got very involved in drugs uh and you know thought it was very clever to be buying lots of marijuana in morocco and driving it back to his hippie friends in notting hill <laughs> and i think <laughs> i think it really was that and and he got caught and um obviously that's not something that you know <laughs> that you should be doing um even now uh but but i think back then it was definitely you know that it was definitely the kind of thing they put you in prison for and off to prison he went um so when he came out of prison um he he then actually went off and got work on cruise ships so i would see him kind of sporadically i suppose um and and that was difficult that was that was hard because i i wanted to be able to have a relationship with him and i didn't see him very much he was kind of I think he was a very good man, but I don't think he really knew how to be a dad. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's one of the reasons that made me so sure that I wanted to be a parent. Um, I suppose you could argue that I wanted to make sure that I I got it right. I was going to be a really good dad. <laughs> you know, I was going to yeah. be a dad and I was going to get it absolutely spot on. Um, and, I, and I had that feeling from, gosh, from the age of about 13, I think. And where does your sister fit into this then? Is he her dad as well? You, she was 10 years oh, older. 
She had she had another dad as well. My mum right. my mum got got pregnant um, the first time she was ever with somebody at the age of twenty, um, and they got married because that's what you did in the sixties. Uh, and then I think he was young. He was he was possibly a young a year younger than her, so nineteen. And I think he couldn't handle it, so he buggered off. Um, leaving my mum with my with my sister um, for ten years before I was born, so it was just the two of them. And I mean, my mum had nothing. She really, really came from from nothing, and and didn't have anybody looking out for her, and and kind of, you know, struggled to make ends meet, and 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 did a pretty incredible job, I think. Um, and then my dad came on the scene, um, and they fell in love. And got married, um, and they were together for a few years until he went to prison. And I think, you know, I think she tried as hard as she could to make that work. But you know, you've got two kids, and you're on your own, and a husband that's in prison in France. Um, you know, and she was still a young woman. Um, so I think, you know, that didn't work. Um, you know, and that's when she met my stepdad. I think finally she felt like she'd got it right then. <laughs> Is it your stepdad I've met then? I'm trying to think because I've yeah, certainly... Yeah, it must be. Right, okay. It must be because so my, my biological father's passed away. So, right. Um, uh, and yeah, my stepdad has been around and, and I was brought up by him. So he, I mean, you know, I call him my dad to all intents and purposes. He is. So you were, you said you moved to Soho eventually then. How old were you when you were in Soho? Because I like the yeah, idea was, of talking that to someone that had a childhood in Soho. That sounds pretty bonkers, particularly in what must have been the 70s into the 80s. No, it was a bit later. Um, oh, okay. It was, we moved there when I was in my teens. So we're talking 88. Um, I think we moved up there. Um I must have been about 15 uh, and my parents at that point had restaurants uh, and they they got a building in in Soho they 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 had a, had a restaurant in Fulham and they decided to move it up to Soho so they got got a building and we moved up there so we were living suddenly from going from you know leafy Fulham <laughs> yeah. we were on Frith Street in Soho um, right in the middle of things sort of at the Soho Square end um, and it was kind of mind blowing, really, um, just to suddenly be right in the centre of town. Um, and I was still at school. I was my school was over in in Notting Hill, um, so I was you know travelling from Soho every day by tube going to school. Um, but it was it was it, Soho was very different back then. It was very Italian. Um, the gay scene was just about starting to happen there were like a couple of pubs on old compton street and you were just starting to get an inkling that that the gays were kind of finding it and going oh we could make this ours (laughs) (laughs) and that all sort of exploded over the next few years but yeah so that was that that was kind of the second part of my childhood was was up there really and that was i mean it, it was kind of amazing really it was such a great environment to be in and weirdly there's more of a community spirit in Soho than anywhere else that I've lived because there were so few of us that were living there so few families so of course we knew everyone and I knew the local milkman and the local Bobby and you know the the people that had the cafes the people at Bar Italia or whatever um and and it felt like a real community much more so than Fulham in a lot of ways 
Susie, do you have any outdoor space? That's the first thing that comes to mind of somebody living in the centre of Soho. What, what, where does a kid go? Nowhere. Soho Square. I mean, there was nowhere. There, were, there weren't any parks. There was nothing. And in fact, it is that you live in Soho, you tend not to leave. I mean, I would go to school, but I'd, I'd come back and, and we didn't really go anywhere. I mean, you know, we, you sort of had everything that you needed. Yeah, was it, <laughs> open spaces were pretty scarce, it's fair to say. There wasn't, there wasn't anything. And did that stand out for you? Because presumably mates in <clears throat> Fulham had big leafy gardens, did they? Yeah, I guess so. I think we moved up there. I think uh, I'm, in fact, maybe I was a bit younger. Maybe I was 14. I re- that's when I started going to clubs. So I think I had a bit of a, I, I grew up very quickly once we moved to Soho and I discovered um nightclubbing I suppose and and that whole scene um I'd met at school I'd met uh, a woman called Andy Oliver who is still a very good friend of mine to this day um and uh and she was best friends with Nena Cherry who was kind of my hero heroine at the time and it was when Raw Like Sushi was out and I started hanging out with those guys and and suddenly I was like you know I was going to the wag and you know just just living that kind of that life really um so you know going to the playground suddenly stopped being my thing <laughs> right you are literally winning of all the people i've interviewed this is now the coolest childhood anybody's <laughs> ever painted yeah it was it was pretty cool actually and i was i i remember thinking that at the time of going from you know uh, you know listening to listening to buffalo stance in on on my headphones on the way to the tube to suddenly being in a club with her dancing to it you know that kind of stuff i i, I remember thinking wow how has this sort of happened and I, I remember one of the first people that i met on the club scene was fat tony again somebody that i still know he was when he was fat um a long time ago and he was djing in the wag and and, and we were going to all of those places and then and then a few years later, discovering, you know, coming out myself, discovering my sexuality and then and then the gay scene that followed. And there was that big explosion in Soho. And I was, you know, going to all those famous clubs like Kinky Galinky and um, hanging out with a load of drag queens and just so having a ball at the age of, well, I must have been, I don't know, 17, 18, maybe. Um yeah, it was it was pretty intense. <laughs> There's two cliches that spring to mind. One is you're not a knobhead, which is brilliant. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, that's true. And two that you haven't seemingly gone off the rails. They're the sort of with the picture you're painting. They're the two <clears throat> things you would part expect that you would be some cocky div who you know ended up <laughs> on drugs and whatever, whatever. I realise they're cliches, but you know, was there anything like that ever tempting you, or any time you ever wandered off the path? Yeah, and uh, definitely when I was younger, and you know, I I I, I had my moments of of hedonism, that's for sure. I think part of the reason was my dad was in prison for drugs, so I knew that that didn't end well. My sister, who is ten years older than me and has spoken quite a lot about her her kind of you know life, um, had had quite uh, bad addiction problems. Uh, and I witnessed that from a very young age. My sister's clean now and has been for God twenty five years or something. But um, she really struggled with with addiction. And and I think growing up in that environment, 
you sort of make a choice. You go, do I want to go down that road? When you've seen it firsthand and you've seen how awful it can be, I think it kind of puts you off. Um, so it was it was never really my thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was no saint and, and I was living in Soho and 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 then later on I I became very good friends with Robbie Williams, who was obviously a big star at the time, and and we moved in together. We we shared a flat for a couple of years around about the time of his first album and then, you know, the Groucho Club and Soho House and that whole scene and yeah, they were they were wild days to say the least but it's never really suited me I suppose um I I don't have a an addictive personality I think um I always have my kind of head screwed on even even at a young age um so yeah I think it sort of it missed me out the the addiction gene maybe I don't know I don't know and in terms of your sister and and the addiction and and maybe the environment, was it the the, the same things that she was being subjected to, or was the ten years older thing had she had a different experience? I don't know really. I I I, I don't know. It's she found it very difficult because we moved to Brighton for a few years. I think because my mum wanted to be close to the coast to be able to go and visit my dad in prison. Um, I was I was too young to remember, but my sister was just hitting her teenage years and suddenly leaving everything that she knew in London, which I think, you know, had been very cool and she had a lot of friends and whatever, and going to Brighton and not knowing anyone and dealing with all of that stuff. Um, uh, and I don't know. I think that was where she found her, her comfort, really. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, she had... Things were tough for her as well in, in, in a different way. What were you like at school then? Were you going into school and going, yeah, whatevs, I know Nana Cherry, or, you know, were you, <laughs> were you studious? No, I wasn't like that at all. I was, I, I was very kind of, um, hmm, it's an interesting one, actually, because I, I was a really good kid at school, um, but we moved around a lot. Uh, we moved my school quite a lot, and I'd uh, I ended up um, going to a school in Hammersmith for, for my first year of my secondary school. And at that time, I'd started acting, um, and I and I was doing little bits as a kid, uh, and things were kind of taking off for me. Um, and I I didn't like the school that I was at, um, so I was taking time off to film and then in the times that I wasn't filming I was bunking off a little bit just because I didn't like it there anyway I was expelled from that school so ended <laughs> up at the local comprehensive school in Notting Hill I went to Holland Park which at the time was a huge comprehensive school like a super school um, and I think even though I was a really good kid and really you know worked hard never got a detention never anything else because I came with this kind of, he was expelled from his last school. Um, I, I don't know. I think I had a bit of, I think I had a bit of kudos with the other kids, and I just wasn't that kind of kid at all. I was, I was really diligent and didn't ever want to get into trouble with anyone. But, um, but yeah. So uh, I, I love school. Once by the time I got to Holland Park, I, I had a great time. I, I, you know, it was like the best social life ever. I didn't get the best education in the world, but you know 
I was I was you know hanging out in Labrador Grove with all of those kind of people in the in the late eighties, early nineties, and it was quite a time to be quite a time to be a teenager, I think, yeah. and I made and had, the most of it. Had the acting bug bitten through school drama, or more again your environment? If you were around singers and and people doing those type of well, things. That- that stuff happened later, really. Um, hanging out, hanging out with those kind of people happened when I was sort of in my later teens. It, 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 the acting bug had hit earlier, and it was through being part of a youth theatre. And I did a little film, a children's film, foundation film, when I was I don't know eleven or twelve or something. And and that I got an agent from that, and it it sort of went from there, really. And I always kind of tried to do stuff while I was at school, but it wasn't really until. I left school at 18. I'd planned to go to university and then I got a TV series and I thought, well, I'll, I'll take a year off and do the TV series. And then the TV series got recommissioned for another year. And by that time, I'd, I'd bought my first flat because you could do that kind of thing when, you, when you, you were on a TV series in that era. They paid you quite well. Um, so I bought my flat in, in Soho as well. And then, you know, the idea of going to university just never it it never materialised. I was suddenly out there living life and going out and working and, you know. And I suppose, fun, I suppose in terms of what your parents were doing back then and where you were living, uh, you know, they weren't kind of going, oh, I think you should get a degree under your belt or were they? How did they feel about what you wanted to do? They were always really supportive. Um, and I think because I was successful I was certainly doing stuff. It wasn't like, oh, I really want to be an actor, but I haven't really got anything. And I, I mean, you know, I had a really good agent. I was going up stuff. I was getting good jobs. I was making money. And my mum was like, great, this is working for you. You go for it. Because she'd she really had to work very hard herself. And I think the idea of going to university, yeah, I think she would have been incredibly proud of me um, if I'd gone. She certainly never had that opportunity. Um but I think she could see that, you know, I, w- I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and it made sense. What what was I going to get from university that I wasn't already getting? I mean, a social life, I'm sure it would have been great in Manchester, but not as great as it was in Soho. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One of the things that strikes me, if, if your parents were in the restaurant business, is there's not much mm. time off from that. Were there holidays? What was a holiday like for your family? Yeah, we didn't we didn't go on so many uh, family holidays. Um, I can only really think of one time that the four of us went away. My mum, my stepdad, and my sister and me. We went to Menorca, um, and I must have been about eleven or so. Um, and we had a great time. We we were all very close, um, still are very close. Uh, and so yeah, that was that was fun. But we. I, I think from an early age, because I was making money, I used to uh, really go on holiday on my own, which sounds weird now that I'm saying it. But we had a lot of friends in America, for example. So in the summer holidays, I'd go to America and stay with mates um, who had kids of my age and because that was fun. And we'd go to, you know, we'd go to Disneyland and places like that. And, and what age so, were so, you? That probably started around about the age of 12. Um, sometimes me and my mum would go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd often go off. a plane and, by yourself. Well, and... well I'd been doing that. I'd, I'd been going to stay with my, my grandparents used to go to Lanzarote every every winter. So I'd always go and stay with them. I'd get on a plane and 
going to stay with them. An unaccompanied minor I was. They give you a little plastic wallet around your neck that held your passport and it wasn't that difficult really an air stewardess would walk you on and walk you off and there was somebody to meet you at the other end it was fine but no I think going to America my mum probably came with me the first few times but then as I got into my teens I just yeah I just go off and do it on my own I've always been quite independent yeah yeah that is yeah I was talking to my kids about it the other day I mean I was you know my daughter's 11 now and I'm still driving her to school, as most people do with 11-year-old girls. Um, but, I, w- I mean, I was going on the tube by myself from well, the age of 10. Um, and it was just, I suppose it was just a different time. I don't know. Or well, maybe it was unusual. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't got anything to base it against. You, again, the thing that strikes me living in the centre of Soho is, do you lack certain skills? Like, how would you learn to ride a bike in the centre of Soho, for instance. Do you know what I mean? Are there things from your childhood that are missing from, I hate to say normal, because nobody has a normal childhood particularly, but, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, how can you ever know? Certainly, I I learned how to ride a bike and I learned how to swim. I, I was part of the swimming team at my primary school. So I got all of that when I was much younger. Um, And then my teenage years in Soho, I guess I was doing exactly what teenagers want to be doing, which is, you know, going out and getting a social life and meeting really cool people and that that kind of stuff, really. Um, no, I don't feel like I missed out on anything. And what about mates? What kind of friend are you, were you? Are you a sort of mates for life person, would you say, or because you moved around a lot? Because I, I had pockets of friends. I lived abroad and I would just start new relationships. And now I'm quite bad or good, depending on which way you look at it, at going, you're a set of people, we work together, and then I'll never see you again. And I'm completely cool with the moving on part. Where, where are you with that? I've got, I mean, I'm definitely a friend for life kind of person. I mean, friends that I met, back then at school I'm still mates with some of my school friends and then from my time in Soho um as I say Andy Oliver is still one of my best friends um uh there's an actress called Amanda Meeling who was also living in Soho at the time she and I are still great mates um you know I'm very I've always my my mum used to joke that the first thing that I said when I was able to speak was what's your name uh, and I just ask people in the street, what's your name? She said, and, and she said, you've always been really interested in people, just talking to people. And I've, I've got quite a, a big social life, I suppose. I always have had, and, I, and I've got a lot of mates. Um, obviously, my close friends, I can, I can count on one hand, but I, I do know a lot of people. And I suppose I've, I've always been quite sociable in that way. Um, and, and, you know, being part of the club scene in Soho was was kind of a kind of a big part of that really what would you say the worst bit of your childhood was then I don't know really I I I think it's the bad stuff about my childhood is stuff that I've kind of realized looking back on it because I never think about my childhood in a in an unhappy way at all I always feel like I was quite a happy kid um I think looking back, I was I was probably quite an effeminate child, and at some point, I realised that that wasn't okay. Um, I don't think I knew that I was gay in those days, but I was certainly into dancing and playing with dolls, and you know, 
all of that kind of stuff. And at, and at some point around about the age of 11, I think this was another reason that I didn't like the school that I went to because it was a boys school. Um, and I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't, I didn't feel like the other boys there. Uh, I felt like I, there was something different about me. Um, and I, I think I learned to adapt. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not particularly camp anymore. I'm not a particularly camp gay man. But I think that was something that I kind of must have made a decision on at some point. I, I certainly don't remember it being conscious, but I do remember thinking there are certain ways that boys aren't supposed to be and I need to not be those anymore um which is kind of sad looking back um but that wasn't anything to do with my family at all in fact you know when I did come out at 17 or 18 my family were all great um and in fact my sister said to me oh, I've known since you were about two just glad that you finally know. <laughs> yeah. And how long before you, you did know, if you came out 17, 18, how long was that sort of mulling in your mind? Um, it, it, I think it, it all happened fairly quickly. I mean, I was quite late to hit puberty. So I think I, I didn't hit puberty until I was about 16. And then once all those hormones started coming in, I started to realise who I was attracted to. I think that was that, was that really. I mean, I had a few girlfriends and, and whatever. But, um, but no, I think once I realised, I'm sure it felt really dramatic and traumatic and, you know, <laughs> a, big, a big drama at the time. But I don't think it was really. There was none of the, you know, you know arguments or being thrown out or you know any of that stuff in fact funnily enough I do remember talking to my mum uh who was who was wonderful about it but she said the only thing that makes me sad is I know how much you want to be a dad and I'm just sad that that's not going to happen for you now and even then at the age of whatever I was 17 or 18 I remember thinking well why isn't it going to happen I know it's not going to happen the way that you know it happens for a lot of people, but I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't think I really had thought it through. But it always felt like I was going to be a parent somehow, um, and that was just that was just logistics. <laughs> that I wasn't straight. That was that was just something that I was just going to have to work out, really. Um, so yeah, that was her only worry was that she knew how much I wanted to be a dad. We're going to come on to that, how you became a dad in just a bit. I just mm. wanted to ask about the best bit of your childhood because you seem so relaxed, so everything in your mm. stride-ish about stuff. What what was the most amazing part, you would say, of your yeah, childhood? I guess so. I think I went, I went back to Fulham last week, funnily enough. I just had a day off and I live in Islington now and so I jumped on the tube. I had a real craving for a kebab from a local kebab shop. <laughs> <laughs> near my house so I, I went on a bit of a pilgrimage and went and got myself a kebab and then I went back to the the flats the the estate where where we lived and 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 sat on the wall in the in the playground and ate my kebab and and kind of looked around and had a bit of a nostalgic trip and I suppose for me the best bit was being there I had a real even then I suppose when when I was really little I had a a, a real group of mates uh, again some of whom I'm still in contact with and I just used to spend all my time in that playground um in in the flat in the flats just just 
playing really and and that when i think back to my childhood in fulham that's what i remember just being out all the time playing with my mates that's a, a 70s childhood right there i reckon isn't it because i have yeah. that as well i do wonder because <laughs> yeah. coming from middlesbrough you have places like london to aspire to get to and i literally remember finishing my degree and saying to my mom because other mates had started we, i did my degree in birmingham started getting jobs in london and i clearly remember saying to my mom i need to get to london and her face yeah. falling because of course she knew she would <laughs> lose me and blah, blah. but when you're in london all of the time i mean do you mm. aspire to go and be a farmer in the cot or you know how does that play out for someone that's only ever known that buzz yeah I don't know because I love the countryside for a minute you know I love going (laughs) and being in nature and breathing the air and going this is wonderful let's go home now (laughs) I'm a city boy and I always have been I live in Islington now and my mum is like oh suburbia you know they all my sister still lives in in Soho uh, my mum and dad have actually moved further out. They're in King's Cross now. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really I love far that that's out further London. out for them. <laughs> that's further out for them. Um, <laughs> and she's calling Islington suburbia. Yeah. She's like, I'm not going all the way up there. <laughs> <sighs> but no, I mean, she says it tongue in cheek. But but it's true. We, we're all of us. We just, we were, you know, and, and my, my niece and nephew went to the local primary school in Soho and we're, we're very much, you know, three generations of Soho living there. Um, so, yeah, I, I do love the countryside and, you know, we've got a little place in Kent by the beach and I love going down there, but I like coming back to town. It's, I think it's where my heart is really. Okay. So you mentioned that 11, you were certain that you'd be a dad you came out as gay at 17, 18, and that was your mum's biggest sadness that Mm. you wouldn't be a dad, but yet you are a dad. Um, So you always knew you would be, but I suppose the interesting fact is when you're gay, finding somebody else that wants to be a dad as well and then somebody that wants to be the mum. So talk us through your situation. Well, it was something that I'd always known that I wanted to do and I talked to my sister a lot about it and she was always like you're just gonna have to figure it out you know we were never really ones for letting things get in our way I think that was because of my mum she'd never had the option she just had to get on with things and so we me and my sister both have that mentality of right what is it that I want and how am I going to get it it's it's as simple as that um and I became this is turning into a real name droppy I podcast. like it, it wasn't I my love the name but... dropping I'm happy with the name dropping I, I'm really sorry I'm gonna sound like a tosser <laughs> but uh I'd become very good friends with Kathy Burke Clang. when I was quite young there you go it's a good one and I when I first came out I talked to Kath about that and said and and I I I had opened up to her about my mum's fears and said my mum's worried about this and I don't know what to do. And and Kath kind of said, that's a load of rubbish. I don't think she said rubbish. Uh, she probably used a different word, yes. knowing Kath. But she said, if you want to be a dad, be a dad. Just do it. Uh, you know, you will find a way. And so what I started to do was instead of talking about if I become a, a dad, I'd start talking about when I became a dad. And just having that change in my head because I'd had I'd I'd had Kath and I'd had my sister kind of going, just find your way. Um, 
of course, that was easier said than done because there weren't really any ways um, for young single, as I was then, gay men. Um, you couldn't adopt. Surrogacy wasn't a thing. Co-parenting was, I mean, I'm sure people were probably doing it somewhere, but I'd never heard of it or thought about it. Um, so what I started to do was talk to friends who might <laughs> might be into the idea. I don't know, maybe it was naivety. I thought, oh, you know, I've got single girlfriends. They'll probably want to have a kid with me. Uh, not for a minute thinking that it's not actually every woman's ideal way of having children. <laughs> <laughs> but I did start having those kind of conversations with mates and saying, well, you know, and there, and there was one friend of mine in particular who said, well, you know, if I hit 40 and I'm still single, yeah, let's have a kid together. Uh, and then she got close to 40. In fact, I think, she may have even hit 40 and was still single and said, you know what? I really want to be a mum and you want to be a dad and this isn't going to happen for us unless we do something about it. And I think from her point of view, she was thinking this, this is actually going to pass me by. And she had the added thing of the biological clock. So she was like, I I've got to do this and I haven't met anyone. So we started to talk about it quite seriously. And, and by that time, I'd met Cameron, my now husband, because um, we've been together for 16 years, Cam and I, and Georgia, our eldest, is 11. So, you know, we'd been together for a, a good few years by the time Catherine and I started talking about this seriously. Um, and we didn't really know what we were doing or how it was going to work but we knew that we wanted to be parents so we just sort of figured it out and we we went and we'd saved up money and we went and did IVF and you know to cut a long and very boring story short we, we've now got two kids and, and we co-parent and they live equally between the two houses we don't live very far from each other um uh, and in fact, the kids were with us last night, but we saw Catherine this morning because she had some stuff at her house that, you know, they needed for school. So we do a lot of that. Um, and it and it seems to work pretty well, actually. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how it happened. It's probably a lot saner than some just, you know, male-female setups, I would imagine. Well, I don't know. I mean, there are, listen, there are pros and cons, and I would never claim that it's the best way. But, you know... There are times where I see a lot of my straight married mates who have got kids who are just exhausted, and particularly in the young, in the early years, and they're like, "Oh, I just, I just need a break." And we got a break. All of us got a break. Half the week, the kids were with their mum, or from Catherine's point of view, half the week they were with us, and the kids got a break from us as well. In fact, they still do, and so you never get those big moments of tension where you know we, we don't have big arguments in that way it, it feels very easy being with them because we know that we get time off um and and so when the kids are with us we're very engaged with them we have no problem playing with them or doing stuff because it doesn't feel relentless in the same way if that if that makes sense yeah uh, you know I th and i think that is a real a, a, a real positive point of our, of our setup. Just winding back a bit, because knowing I I didn't have Fox my first till I was thirty nine. Mm. But as a woman, you get to a point where you meet a partner and you have to go. My body clock's ticking. I've never been with anyone mm -hmm. longer than two years. 
you know, you're making those decisions of is this a go or isn't this a go? I presume when you were meeting men, you were having to go, I want kids. That's non-negotiable. Do you or don't you? Because well, that's an in or out moment. Or how were you operating? Well, interestingly enough, that <laughs> the conversation has changed. I mean, the, the, the kind of political conversation, but also the actual conversations. And now it's it's something that gay men do actually talk about when they get into relationships. They go, do you want kids? I want kids, or I don't want kids, or you don't want kids, great, let's not have kids. But the conversation happens. It didn't happen when we were doing it. Um, certainly Cameron, my husband, who's a bit older than me, that was never a consideration. If you were gay, you either got married to a woman and went down that lie, or you parked that side of things because it wasn't an option that was available to you. And and it just wasn't something that was discussed. In a way, when I when we did start this journey, and in fact we had Georgia when I went into Coronation Street and I suddenly had a bit of a profile and I decided that I wanted to talk about this publicly for a number of reasons. Uh, one was that I wanted to be that person that was going, look, gay men, we can have kids, we're doing it and it's working out all right. Another reason was that I wanted to show people that apart from the obvious logistical differences and how you get them in the first place, parenting is just as mundane and relentless and boring for gay people as it is for straight people. You know, when you're doing homework or changing nappies or whatever, the last thing you feel you're thinking about is who you're attracted to. You're just trying to focus on bringing up, you know, great, responsible, kind, caring humans. Um, but also the third the third kind of reason that I wanted to do it was I kind of wanted to it was almost like putting a bit of pressure on myself to be a really good parent because I thought if I do this publicly if I talk about this publicly I can't screw it up I've got to get it right and I wanted that I wanted to make sure that I was going to be the best dad that I could be so I so I went to the guardian <laughs> it was again it was that it was that real naivety but also slight arrogance maybe of thinking right I'm going to write a column about this never written anything in my life before I'm going to write a column I'll go to the guardian and see if they'll give me a column <laughs> and they did weirdly I don't know how it's not the but slight yeah, so irony I, in this that Cameron is a writer isn't he <laughs> there's a massive irony in that a massive irony um and a much better writer than me but um uh, but no and, and, and we wrote the column and uh yeah I had it for about a year um and in fact you know my sister did it with me in those times she she you know definitely worked on it with me because I was I was in the middle of Coronation Street at the time and I you know trying to get a column out every week was challenging to say the least when I was in the middle of a you know big storyline or whatever but but it was it was something that I felt really passionate passionately about was that I wanted to I wanted to talk about it just to show other people. So going back to what I was saying before, the conversation has changed and it is something that gay men talk about now. Um, and I say gay men because I think gay women had kind of quietly been getting on with having kids for a long time because having kids for women is a lot easier um, for the obvious reasons. Um, and, yeah, I've, I feel like... I, I played a small part in that, the fact that there's been a bit of a sea change and now we see you know same sex parents you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say we're everywhere but it's certainly a lot more common than than it was 10 years ago even 
So part of it for you is that you've managed to have an influence on the conversation, but also that pressure you put on yourself to be, and I wrote it down when you said it earlier, a spot-on dad. <laughs> have you, are you, are you achieving that part of it, the, the pressure you put on yourself? Um, I don't know. I, I, do we ever know if we're getting it right? I think that we're doing the best we can, uh, and I think that's all you can ask. I think that... Uh, I listen to my kids and I hear them. I usually, um, I, I guess I'm fairly strict, but I have no problem apologizing when I get something wrong. Um, I'm well aware that I might snap at them sometimes for reasons that aren't their fault if I'm tired and I, and I have no issue saying to them, I'm really sorry. That wasn't about you. That was about me. Um, they seem to be pretty happy they seem to be pretty you know well balanced um they don't they don't have any huge kind of issues that I can see <laughs> I mean I don't, I don't know it's really hard isn't it you you try and do your best with kids and I think the things that were perhaps mistakes that maybe our parents made you you try really hard not to make those and and maybe you're successful in that but we all make our own mistakes. And I'm sure that my kids will grow up thinking, you know, I wish that had been different or, or, or whatever it is. You know, as long as they can afford their own therapy, I feel like I've done my job. <laughs> I'm interested because the vibe I'm getting from you is, you know, easygoing, relaxed, and then you throw in that you're strict. Mm. I'm like, whoa, hang on, what? I mean, listen, there, <laughs> I'm strict in a kind of really relaxed, easygoing way. Right. I don't shout at the kids. I don't lose my temper with them. I don't. I'm not sure that I ever have uh, because it's not necessary. Oh, man, uh, I'm so envious of that because I do lose my good temper. Kids. I do. But you see, again, I think that's because sometimes it feels like it just never stops and you don't get time off. You know, um, we've got the kids this weekend, but next weekend we're going away just for a couple of days, just the two of us, just because we can, because the kids are with their mum. And it's not like we've handed them off to grandparents or a friend or a babysitter. They're with their mum. It's, you know, it's it's not like we're having to worry about, you know, are they okay? And and so we can have time off completely relaxed, completely free to just, you know, focus on each other and and have that time. And I and I genuinely believe that that is one of the reasons that none of us, I mean, <clears throat> myself, Cameron and Catherine are all fairly laid back people anyway, but none of us really lose our temper with them. And I, and I think it's because we don't have to. I must admit, I have often eyed up divorce, that being a reason of, oh, yes, I could, they could go to the dad's mm -hmm. when he lives in a whole separate place. Yeah, <laughs> An yeah. advantage of separation, looking at the positives. And um, what would you say is your lowest parenting moment? Oh, my lowest parenting moment. You probably don't um, have one because you're so relaxed, whereas I can. No, I don't think that's instantly. true at all. God, I, I'm always, uh, I'm always worried. I think I overthink things um, in a way that I think my parents or my mum let me get on with things a lot, mainly because she didn't have the time to focus that hard on me if that that doesn't doesn't mean that she neglected me in any way I just think that you know we we worry a lot you know when I was a kid for example I went out and played that's just what I did whereas now for my kids 
they have play dates and you arrange it with the parents and they go and it's a, it just feels like a different thing it feels like there's a lot of organization that i experience with my kids which we didn't have when i was growing up and i think in a lot of ways that freedom gave me an independence that i sometimes worry that my kids don't have as much of sometimes i think we overthink it our our generation has been brought up with therapy and you know self-awareness in that way and, and we can often project that onto our kids and going are they all right is everything okay what are they feeling what are they thinking you know i think sometimes you just got to let them get on with it you know filling every filling every moment so that they're not bored well some of the best things that happened to me when i was a kid was because i was bored and i had to find my own fun and and i think I think that can be missing sometimes, and I'm sure I'm sure I'm guilty of that of going, oh, I've got to occupy the kids, rather than just you know letting them get on with it. And you mentioned that you didn't particularly go on holiday as a family; you were off doing your America extravaganza. What what is <laughs> what are holidays like for you and your kids? We do tend to holiday a lot with the kids. Um, I mean, Cam and I go on holiday a lot just the two of us and 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 we do a lot of travel writing as well so we're fortunate in that we we're quite well traveled um obviously not for the last year or two um but we tend to we we try and get away with the kids every year uh and we talk to them about what they want to do and most of the time they want to go on a kind of you know go somewhere hot with a beach canary islands or spain or you know somewhere like that um, but they're perfectly happy as long as there's a pool and a beach and, you know, somewhere to get ice cream. They don't really care. They just, I think they're happy spending time with us, really. And Georgia in particular, I'd imagine, that they must be aware of their setup. You certainly will have never hidden it and it, it's, a, it's a part of their upbringing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, both of them. People often ask me that and say, oh, when did you tell them or... When did you? How did you find the way to talk to them about you? Of course, we never had to because it's just what it is. Um, so it's just part of life for them. Um, and I can't ever remember having a big conversation about different families or any of that stuff um, because it was just there. And you know, I'm, I'm I'm not saying it's this situation can be very hard for a lot of people, and certainly if you're you know you're a gay family out in the middle of nowhere that that can be tricky if you are literally the only gays in the village i i, I live in central london i mean you know <laughs> the biggest drama is if waitrose run out of organic hummus uh, <laughs> it, it, that's that's much more of an issue than having gay parents and you know in george's class alone there are there are adopted kids there are there's a lesbian couple that have a son there's you know um single parents there's uh, all all sorts of different families and and i think we're really fortunate that they're in that environment anyway and their oh. kids know me and cameron so uh, i mean their their classmates know me and cameron so um yeah it's always been kind of normalized i suppose are georgia and hal gonna have the name drops in their childhood that you have clanged today <laughs> well they are of course, because like, I mean, Kath is Hal's godmother because because you know without her he wouldn't be there. Uh, and they they've got a few they've they've got a few you know 
<laughs> celebrity <laughs> adults in their life. It's uh, they're very into Marvel at the moment, as most kids are, and uh, and and. Uh, my friend Paul plays Vision in the Marvel movies, and he's he's their godfather. And uh, and and that was quite an interesting conversation when Georgia started secondary school. She's actually quite embarrassed about it. She does she didn't like telling anybody about that stuff. She's like, it's really mortifying. But you know, I don't know <laughs> what can you do. These are the people that are in your life. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I sound like a massive name dropper in this. I don't think. No, I am, you know, it's all. Just, it's happening that way. <laughs> and are either of them showing any signs of wanting to do what you do? I don't know. I think Georgia possibly. She's. I think she's got a talent for it. She's a great mimic. She's very funny. Um, she's got fantastic timing. Um, How was actually doing drama classes for a while and did a monologue evening when he was like seven or something. And the next day we got a phone call from the school saying, we have an agency here. We'd really like to represent your son. Um, wow. So they obviously saw something in him as well. We, did, we didn't do any of that because I think, you know, he, he can he can decide to do that stuff later. But um, there's a lot of pressure. You see, you're such a cool parent. Project. I'd be like, yes, how much can they earn? <laughs> can they get me a pension? <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. There is that, yeah. <laughs> But, so maybe if they, if they want to, then great. I, I I'd love them to do it if it makes them happy. But um, God, I know what a hard job it is being an actor. So hopefully they'll find something a little bit more secure. But you know, if that's their thing, then that's their thing. That's their thing. What would you say is the best thing about being a parent then for you? I kind of I I weirdly enjoy the chaos of it all sometimes I I quite like it when it's manic and both kids are talking to me at the same time and I'm trying to cook dinner and there's loads going on and it all feels I I, I quite like all of that stuff um I, I like being engaged with them I like spending time with them they're good company um I often see people with kids and they don't look like they're having a very good time they don't look like they enjoy it um, and I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy at all. It's really hard being a parent. Um, but you've got fine moments. And, and the most important thing for me is that we all really like each other. Um, and, and that, I suppose, is, is, you know, when we're all just here hanging out, that's, that's when it's best, I think. So in terms of Catherine, you'd had her mm. in your life for, for quite a while. I'm just thinking of sort of advice for mm. anybody else that's listening and, and mm. a bit further away down that journey, but thinking, well, I want this for my life. Would you say the strength was in how long you'd known Catherine that, that helps this relationship I think, work? I think partly, and obviously our relationship has changed a lot. Um, you know, we used to be very good friends and now our, we're still good friends, of course, and I love her deeply, but our relationship is different. And now we co-parent and a lot of our relationship is taken up with discussions about the kids. Um, so things have definitely changed in our, in our relationship. Um, I think, I don't know, part of the part of the thing for us was we we talk a lot um we always have done we realized quite early on that communication was key and and we also talk about everything that happens in each household so Catherine will tell me if you know 
one of the kids has done something naughty or whatever. I don't know. I can't think of examples now, but I'm the same here. We, we make sure that we all know what's going on all the time because I think the kids could probably, you know, say, oh, mummy said that I can stay up until 10 or whatever, whatever it is. So it's really important that we're all on the same page and we know exactly what's going on in, in, in both houses. And we talk all the time. I mean, we, we speak every day on the phone um, if we don't see each other. So I think, yes, that was that, that was probably the biggest thing for us is to make sure that you communicate. And even those tricky things, the things that you think, oh, I don't really want to bring that up because it's going to be a contentious issue or whatever it is, you just say it because it's much easier to say it and get it dealt with than to bottle it up and start resenting people. Um, and, we, and we try not to do that. And there must have been strains along the way as well. I'm, I'm thinking initially doing the IVF because it didn't go well straight away and I remember mm, seeing mm. you and yours had worked and we were starting our IVF and you were a great yeah. hope for me because we were at the same place with the oh, same good. people and I was like I mean oh, it didn't really? work out for us at that place but I remember clearly having that yeah. conversation and you saying yes but at times when it wasn't going well how do you cope in those situations? Well that was really hard and you know we we tried three times we had enough money for three times with one person that and it didn't work and she decided that she wanted to try again for a fourth time and we didn't have enough money and her parents said that they would help out uh and so we went to somebody different and i remember she they they did the implant and then a few weeks later they were going to phone and let us know if it had taken or not and i remember going to meet catherine and thinking okay when this hasn't worked, which inevitably it won't have worked, how do I talk to her about this? What do I say? How do I comfort her? Because this is going to be really difficult. I remember having that internal monologue with myself thinking, what do we do? Um, you know, do we talk about adoption? How's that going to work? You know, and, um, and then we got the call saying that she was pregnant. And, and that was sort of that, really. Incredible. And, and then you were fortunate enough again with how. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how, how, <laughs> how really was a case of those, well, we've got one left in the freezer, you know, should we give it a go again? Uh, and so we did. Um, so that, yes, and that was, that was two and a half years later he was born. Um, and yeah, now we've got two of the little buggers. <laughs> <laughs> the whole chat with you has been very relaxed, <laughs> Very pleasurable. You've left me Good. not feeling with any sort of anxiety about parts of your life. And, and even now, as you say, this the, the same-sex parenting that you're doing, you've managed to win at that. And so well, I don't know, I'm maybe. interested what you're going to go with now as I pose the question to you of if you had to choose between your childhood with all those celebs in it, all the childhood you're giving <laughs> to your the celebs children. celebs are still there. What, which one would you uh, I don't know if it's as binary as that, I'm afraid. I think there are bits of my childhood that were just perfect in a lot of ways. And I, and I wish that my kids could have that and that freedom and that... Um, and they don't in the same way. Um, they're much more protected, I suppose. And maybe the world has changed. I don't know. Or maybe it's us um, being cautious. Um, having said that, I know that my 
children feel heard all the time. I know that they are able to express themselves really well. I know I, there were definitely times when I remember as a kid going, I'm feeling a certain way and I can't give that to my mum because she she can't manage it at the moment. She's got too much going on. So I'm just going to keep that to myself. And and my kids definitely don't have that, you know. And, you know, they're, they're perfectly capable of answering me back. I don't mind that stuff if, as long as they're not rude, you know. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that I was never really, I didn't have as a kid. Um, so I, 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 I'm going to be really boring and say a bit of both. <laughs> Sure, I accept that. The only other person oh, that's no. had that was uh, Mr. Motivator, and he had a. I mean, there was all kinds of things going on there. I'm going to well, push you. In that case, all right. In that case, I'm going to go for my childhood because I think I'm doing all right, and uh, and I think I think my mum did a pretty good job. Yours so, sounds incredible yeah. as well. To be fair, they've got a lovely childhood, but yours is a not a one-off, but an unusual childhood. And it sounds like you <laughs> absolutely of. rocked it as well, which yeah, I'm yeah. loving. Yeah, I'm happy with that answer. Actually, I mean, it is right, your choice, good. but I, I'm happy with that answer. Ultimately, um, that's been brilliant talking to you. Uh, I mean, I can't believe you started the whole thing with. Well, my dad went to prison. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry about that. No, no, well, no. Yeah. It's incredible because I didn't know that bit. Um, so yeah, it's been, one day I'll write it all down. Yes, you must. It's been a really good chat. Thank you so much for your time and your You're honesty. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. You've been listening to 16 Summers with me, Kirsten O'Brien. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe in the usual way. And we're always happy to hear your comments using the hashtag 16 Summers. 